Welcome to Just Ahead Podcast. My name is Adele Dujardin, teacher turned life and leadership coach with a passion for helping others live a life that is happily theirs. Through interviews with folks five to 10 years out of college, you will hear how they have carved out satisfying careers of all kinds. Here I speak with Russell Wallach to learn how years after majoring in philosophy at Kenyon College, he is the founder and owner of Bread Tree Farms, a commercial chestnut farm in Massachusetts and an ecological design consultant, which is far more than the name implies. Enjoy. So, hello, Russell. Hi. <laughs> it's good to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm um, excited. Yeah. So let, let's just dive in. And I, you know, the first thing you said before we got on the call was that you've been out of college for nine years. And so I'm wondering, well, nine years later, what are you doing? Yeah. So uh, I do a mix of things. The kind of biggest part of my life from a work perspective is that I'm actually a chestnut farmer. I started a farm last year doing chestnut agroforestry work. So in the long term, I'll be producing chestnuts to be harvested as a gluten-free starch crop. Um, And then I do a lot of consulting work, uh, both mapping and kind of landscape design, but with a focus on food systems and uh, sustainability. So so what does your average week or month look like in terms of division of time? You've got this new entrepreneurial idea of the chestnut farm and Mm -hmm. you have the consulting work. Is that, and, and were you doing that for a long time? Before yeah, started. so I went. I actually went back to school and got a master's in ecological design, and finished up in 2015 in the summer 2015. And so since then, it's kind of been a hodgepodge of consulting, my own farm operations, and then the other big piece of my kind of working life outside of the home is I coach and play ultimate frisbee at a very competitive level. So, so week, week, week to week and month to month, my schedule changes quite a bit, but I think you can imagine any of those exercise or any of those activities is probably ranging from like 10 to 50% of my time during any given week. Okay. And you say ecological design is your master's degree and Mm -hmm. that you spend time consulting. So consulting, that's a term that we hear a lot of these days and it it happens in a lot of different spheres. So I'm wondering if you could elaborate on what you do as a consultant. Help us understand a little better. Just give us like a peek into a project you're working on in that area. Yeah, sure. So we just, I just wrapped up a project um, at the end of March with an organization that is, it's a nonprofit farm that has a restaurant on site and is managing about 300 acres. And for the sake of agreements, I'm I'm not going to say which which organization this is, but um, they have about 20 years of experience farming that land in a very intentional approach to trying to increase the vitality of the ecosystems in that place and not just produce food. Um, And so they've been collecting a lot of data for 20 years, but they had yet to take on a design process for actually creating a system for how data is collected, how that data is stored, and then how that information can be mapped or visually articulated or communicated to the many stakeholders from donors to eaters at their restaurant to communicate the benefit of their work. So I worked with a couple partners. Um, We came in, listened to how the organization is working, listened to the specific farming they're doing, who the stakeholders are that they're trying to communicate with, and help them design a process for everywhere 
from collecting that data all the way through communicating it um, and to kind of get them ready to use a mapping software platform to be able to do that. So awesome. that's one example of a project. Yeah. It's a yeah. completely unique project. I've never done a project exactly like that, but that's the kind of bringing a design process into organizational consulting. Yeah, and so, do. yeah, yeah, and you use the word design. And so in the, in the beginning, I was thinking more of kind of logistical and aesthetic planning, but I hear mm -hmm. behind what you just described a lot of mathematics, mm -hmm. a lot of qu quantitative and quality. Yeah, yeah mean, design for me has been a discipline that really allows me to be the generalist I am. Mm. I'm really not an expert at anything. I think I have a capacity to hear from a lot of experts and people kind of in specific topic areas and integrate all of their expertise into towards kind of a shared goal. Um, and to me, that's what that's a big part of what a design process is, is kind of understanding what you are trying to accomplish or what you're trying to produce and actually having an intentional approach to doing so. Whereas it, the more and more I do design work, the more and more I realize how unintentional most of our lives are and most of our work is. <laughs> and so helping people to create processes and structures that are actually directed towards what they want to accomplish or the effects they want to have turns out to be a really valuable service. Yeah, and I can hear some excitement in there. Like I, I, I feel like that's almost what drew you to it and keeps you engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like it's varied and you like, you like bringing the intentionality to it. Yeah, and, and the other piece I'd add there, just because I said I have a master's in ecological design, which as far as I know, about 15 people get that degree every year in the planet. So most people don't know what the heck that means. And the ecological part of that doesn't mean it's specifically about kind of biological ecosystems in the way that I think most of us think about ecology as a discipline. It's, it's, it's actually more broadly about the ecological approach to thinking through things where we're ecology, meaning the study of relationships. Um, so it, an ecological design process in the way I think about it is one in which we're designing for the health of all relationships that that design process is affecting. So that could be anything from a transportation system in New York City to, you know, looking at food waste in a region's food system and kind of helping to articulate how we could design healthier relationships to where our food is flowing after it's been on our plate or not reached our plate. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So it's, it's really a meta view thinking, and yet you, at the same time, are getting in the details of it all. So it sounds like you have a range in which you operate, the, the meta yeah. and, the, and the micro. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, so who are you? Like, what skills do you have that allow you to succeed in this arena? Well, one piece to tie it back to kind of the college experience and I think I can now see why I followed that path, but I'm definitely someone who historically has asked why a lot. Um, so I'm, I tend to be, I think at my best, I'm very curious. And specifically, I think I've targeted that line of questioning at things that like the status quo doesn't make sense to me. I am very curious to understand like, why have we why are we just so attached to that way of doing things when we know it's harmful? Yeah, so there's um, a little bit of a maverick in you. Yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, at worst, a stubborn contrarian, uh -huh. and at best, kind of questioning the ills of the world. Uh huh. So in college, how that showed up is I ended up studying philosophy, 
And that was actually largely through kind of a process of elimination of like, none of these other things quite seem broad enough to let me like have the freedom of thought that I want to have, which I think was wrong, but that's, that's how I thought about it at the time. Well, it's interesting Um, when you described your major, your hands went wide. And when you were describing the consulting and all the different parts of that particular job that you just worked on, your hands went wide as well. Yeah. 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 I definitely like to be able to take the the kind of like pattern level view of things. Yeah. I think Um, it sounds like you'd get bored pretty easily having something that was routine. Yes. And I, and I did (laughs) earlier in my career. Yeah. So what, yeah. So philosophy major, uh, you graduated college and what did you do when you graduated? So in the year I'm going to just go a little bit before graduation because I think this is helpful in terms of understanding how I got to where I am. So the summer before graduating college, I did an internship with uh, the Innocence Project in Chicago. So helping people get uh, wrongfully convicted people's get off of death row. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And what my experience was, one, I needed to work a lot to pay the bills for this unpaid internship. So I didn't actually get to spend as much time as I wanted in the internship. But when I was at the internship, law for me felt it wasn't as personal as I think I like to work. Like it felt like I was constrained. And again, I think this is actually wrong, but (laughs) in my 21 year old mind, I just felt like I couldn't work at a human level enough in in the legal system. But what came out of that summer that was most interesting to me is I got so frustrated that I couldn't buy groceries and not produce waste. Like even if I ate every ounce of food that I bought, I was producing so much plastic and paper and cardboard waste. And that to the like back to the asking why that actually got me started on this whole journey of reading a lot about our food system and trying to understand our food system and understand what is so broken about our food system that we have to use this much packaging to actually make food seem like it's valuable. And like, how have we kind of stripped value out of that system? So that made me really want to get into farming, actually. But I had a lot of student loans. I went to a very good, but very expensive uh, college, Kenyan College. Yep. The small liberal arts in Ohio, Ohio mm-hmm. which was very generous with their financial aid and taught me a lot, but I still left with heavy student loans. And so I kind of decided I needed to put the farm, farming interest and food system interest on pause because I just couldn't find something that could really pay the bills. And I went to an alumni event in about March of my senior year, where it was kind of alumni networking. Hey, you're a senior. Let's help you get a job. And the only other philosophy major there was a guy who was working in sustainability, mostly in the energy sector. So he was working for a company that does software solutions for grid management for electricity. And I got talking to him and we hit it off. And he was also an athlete and, you know, just kind of did the whole networking thing. And that was of, I think, 30 jobs I applied to. That was the only one I heard back from. And so I went two weeks after graduating. I started full-time job in Boston doing kind of customer relations for this software company. Without getting too into the weeds, it was about approving the efficiency of the electric grid. So I ended up doing that for two and a half years and learned a ton. And did you like Um, it? Or did you think, oh, what am I doing here? You know, what, what were you experiencing? Yeah. So what I liked about it is how much I had to learn immediately. I mean, I was a philosophy major who was 22, who started working for a company that was publicly traded, you know, worth $600 million in an industry I knew nothing about. So 
you know, from two weeks after graduation, I was like having to become an expert on how electricity, electric utilities work. And, and, and so that aspect of it, I loved having how much I had to learn. And I think I liked the like test it gave me as a communicator and liked the success I felt of being a good communicator and yeah, just helping people to understand something that was hard for them to understand at times. What helped you learn and how did your liberal arts education serve you or not serve you? It served me as a writer. So this was something I was kind of shocked by is in the professional world, how poor written communication is. And I have no idea, this maybe has changed in nine years. I think there's like a generational shift in terms of who's writing emails. But in general, I was just shocked at like people's inability to write like one, an objective email that wasn't just so grounded in like their immediate emotion and what they were trying to get out of it, but also just like a clear email or like to just concisely communicate what they wanted to communicate. So that was one thing. Yeah, one thing that I got from my liberal, liberal arts degree was an ability to communicate. And then I think similarly, the like synthesis of information, the ability to enter into an industry that I didn't know anything about and fairly quickly need to be able to communicate communicate effectively on it. I think, you know, having such a broad educational experience certainly supported with that. And then I think similarly, I'm not sure, I can't can't point to exactly what it was about the liberal arts experience, but I think that in parallel, I continued to learn about food systems outside of my day-to-day, my job, you know, just picking up new books and going to events and volunteering at certain projects. I think that kind of like self-directedness also maybe came from my liberal arts experience. Or, or maybe also a strength of yours too, as someone who enjoys being in that space of making connections and finding solutions. Yeah. And I, actually, I think that, that's, a, that's helpful for you to say that because I think that was actually something, that was a reflection I had a year or two out of school that I think I'm now starting to take for granted. But I actually remember feeling like the being in the working world was waking up a capacity that I had kind of underutilized in college. What do you think brought on that change? Uh, I think knowing that what I did had an effect, like mm-hmm. that it actually mattered. I think that was something I struggled with throughout not just college, but in like high school. I remember just kind of like not really being that connected to the why of education. Like it was like some, it was like a box I needed to check, but it wasn't clear to me how it was going to benefit me or others a lot of this time. So yeah, I remember, I remember like actively saying that when I was growing up, like, I don't get why I'm studying this. And I remember even feeling like physics was the most interesting science class for me in high school, because I could actually like, I could actually see how it changed my thinking in the world. Like it helped me understand the way the world worked better. And I remember not like in chemistry, memorizing the periodic table. I just had no sense of like how that act would actually matter to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. I wish, now I wish I had done better because <laughs> now I'm you know, working in a field where I have to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So but, there you go. Sometimes we think something is not going to be of use and yeah. it very well might be. And also just, I hear the purpose that, that now when you're in the working world, it, there's a, it's very purpose-driven your life. Yeah, I think that's true. And so you were in this job, your first mm-hmm. job out, and you stayed in it, did you say two years? So I stayed almost three years. Almost yeah. three. All the while still educating yourself on food waste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, had kind of moved on from waste to just 
generally interested in food production and mm -hmm. how our food system worked. Um, yeah, I think actually pretty early on waste stopped being the focus for me. It was just kind of like the symptom that it kind of mm. triggered me to how this system was flawed. Did you go to graduate school after that or did you move into a different job? Yeah, so I, about five months before I left my job, and I think the, a side note here, part of what gave me the freedom to leave is I had been very intentional about how I used the earnings I had from this job, which you know, was not a six-figure job, but was paying me very well for a 22-year-old. And I had very intentionally put as much of that towards my loans as possible to the point that by the time I left, I had almost paid off my loans in like two and three quarters years. So I think that was part of what liberated me to make that switch. My switch was actually to apprenticing with a design firm who I still work with to this day, but kind of who were mentors in the field I'm in now. They were doing a project for a family who I'm friends with. And I said, wow, I'd like, I didn't know there were people you could hire to do that. You know, they were designing a hundred acre farm with chestnut trees and hazelnuts and walnuts and an apple orchard. And I was like, wow, so someone actually has a career of helping to create these systems. And so I emailed that person who was doing the design project. And in the subject, I put the client's name. So I said, friend of so-and-so. And I later, like years later, and this person's a, a dear friend and mentor and teacher of mine, he said, he received intern and apprenticeship inquiries all the time. And the only reason he replied to me is because his client's name was in the subject, which is smart on his behalf. And I hadn't even totally done that with that understanding, but it was another example, just like me getting the job of like, of how networks can benefit you. And, and also the flip side of that, how privileged some of us are depending on the networks we're in. Right. Um, Right. And yes, true. Depending on, on what's available to us. And yet you did show up. You showed up mm -hmm. at the alumni event at Kenyon and you, you asked, you know, we need, <laughs> we need to ask. We can't just be and exist in, in a network. We have to participate in it. And, you know, you sent that email. You, you, yep. and even before you sent that email, you're like, oh my gosh, what is that? I want to do that. You know, it's, a, it's <laughs> kind of staking a claim. You were, you were very active, even though you were fortunate to have these things available to you. Yeah. And so what came out of that is an apprenticeship where I was doing some research for certain projects they were on. Um, but I was also working for the install team. So I was actually planting trees in, on these systems, so helping to establish these orchards and agroforestry systems and just loved it you know, was going down to the Hudson Valley. I was living in Boston at the time. I would go down to the Hudson Valley for a week at a time and camp on site and, you know, just was kind of living this very adventurous life. I, what were you yeah, thinking yeah. at this point? Were you like, this is awesome, you know, or, oh my gosh, where's this going? You know, what was your, what was your thought process? I think I was mostly enthralled by mm. the, like, but just getting thrown in and again, like being in this new industry and, you know, not being someone who grew up on a farm or who even grew up being like super outdoorsy. I was also aware that like the current version of it wasn't sustainable in terms of a career. So I did that for about eight months, uh, a little less than that, actually six months. And then actually just got an email in July of that year. So I left my job in March 
So I guess it was even less than that. It was like five months. Got an email towards the end of July from the graduate school I went to saying one of, and I was on their information list because they were kind of the graduate program that I knew of that was doing this type of work. And they said one of our students dropped out. It was going to start in September and, and dropped from the class. And so we're opening a slot. And this was just sent to their whole list. And if you're interested, let us know. And so I applied. And the school is called the Conway School, the Conway School of Landscape Design. It's here in Western Mass. And got the email and said, well, might as well apply and see if I get in. And so I applied, went and visited them. I mean, it's the school is 20 minutes from where I grew up. So very easy visit for me. And interview went really well. Loved all the conversation, got in, very quickly had to figure out, okay, what kind of loans do I need to take out to do this? Talk to my parents, talk to the folks I was apprenticing with and some other people who are working in this realm and, you know, try to really explore like, is this the, if I'm just totally in love with this industry and want to dive in, is this the right way to do it? And I actually had a interesting experience where I kind of had to convince one of the people who was my mentor that it was the right experience. So it was the person I was apprenticing with. And I said, you know, realistically, this is an opportunity where their focus, their goal is on my education and my development. And I'm apprenticing with you and I'm learning a lot. And I can feel when we're doing that work, your goal is to get the project done. You know, I just asked him, like, if you think about it, if you think about it truly from the perspective of your business and you as an individual, like, if I work with you for another 10 months, do you think I will get the same developmental opportunity as I will get at this program? And he took, he actually, I think, like sat on that question and then got back to me and was like, no, I think you're right. If you really want to kind of accelerate your growth, this would be better than uh, continuing to apprentice. And I think that's not true of every company from my experience, but this was a very small company that was very entrepreneurial and kind of go-getters, but really needed to be focused on getting stuff done and you know keeping revenue going. So that was a big part of swaying me to say, okay, I'm going to yeah. step in and do this grad program. Yeah, it was a great way to frame the question because it really, you know, you, you focused on what you were looking for, which was to... Uh, really augment your growth. Exactly. And so you were looking at it through that lens and asked him to do the same. Yeah. But yeah, and to your point, sometimes school helps us and sometimes being in a particular job or a particular firm is the thing that'll really teach us what we need to know. And I, I think the other thing, because you had mentioned grad school and, and how, you know, especially folks leaving college in this current moment with the pandemic and you know, what we, the stat today is now over 30 million people are unemployed, you know, that it is, especially for folks who like have the economic privilege and opportunity to go directly to grad school. I think that's a, a relevant question. I think the thing that helped me choose this grad school specifically is it's practice-based. It was specifically me choosing an educational opportunity that would help me to do the professional skill that I wanted to have. You said intentionality, earlier on is something that you really like to bring into what you do. So you, you brought that into your decision about graduate school. Yeah. And I think that would be my caution for someone who's leaving college right now thinking about grad school. Obviously, there are people who can and should, and it's the right thing for them. But in general, I have also talked to a lot of people who pursue grad school as a like, well, I don't know what else to do. And I think there are a lot of ways to not know what else to do that don't cost nearly as much money and also 
a lot of grad school opportunities can actually set you down a fairly kind of like myopic or closed path of, you know, this is what you got your master's in. And, you know, you took on this debt or paid a bunch of money in order to get that master's. And, you know, then you kind of fall into like a sunk cost fallacy of like, well, if I spent that money, then I have to keep working in this realm. And that's not to say that that's what happens for everyone. But I think being wary of that and really having a clear why and like a clear reason and benefit that you're seeking from going into that program is definitely a, a good exercise at least to go through before making that choice. That's yeah. what I would suggest. I, yeah. I wouldn't just do it to do it. Yeah. And going back to your earlier description of yourself, like the question of, you know, what are you curious about, right? What things, you know, are, do you find yourself thinking about and care about and keep going back to, you know, or those urges yeah. like, oh, if I only could, or if I had the time, there's some gems probably hidden in there. So, you, so you've had this path of, of working, graduate school, now you're working again and also starting your own venture. What are some of the things you're most proud of? What are the things you'd wish you'd known that you'd say to your younger self? I think something I didn't realize in going to a school like Kenyon, which is one of the most expensive schools, is a school where more than half the population pays full tuition. You know, there were some stats that came out in the New York Times a few years ago about like percentage of a school that is from like the top 10% of the economy or, or like of the of wealth versus the bottom 20%. And Kenyon was very like separated um, in that dynamic. And something I took away from that was I went to school with a lot of people who genuinely believed they could be anything they wanted to be and like believed that in a, in a very beautiful way and believed that because they were in networks that actually made that pretty true yeah. and like had financial safety nets that made that pretty true. And I, I, this is not a critique of any of those people, but I, I realized a few years after college that part of like the liberation and like empowerment that I felt in my early twenties and even still now came from this actually like jump to spending four years with a lot of people who actually thought like if they want to, be a star in Hollywood if they want to be the president, if they want to be a Supreme Court justice, like all of that seemed like real options. And I think while all of those are real options for everyone, the, the level of optionality and the security in pursuing those options is very different. And so I think it left me with a feeling of like, I, I, actually, I don't have any guilt over it because it's just, it. I mean, that was the context I was at school in, but it did leave me feeling like while it's beautiful that all the pe a lot of the people I went to school with felt that way, I wish more people were in a position to feel that way. Um, yeah, well, going back to your, your idea of systems, right? You were in a system where that was energetically in the air. It was part of people's vocabulary. It was in, yeah. their, in their spirits. And yeah, you, you, you probably physically felt it as much as experienced it through conversation. Yeah. And so, so I think that combined with then being in the working world and being like, oh, like, I ha I'm like a pretty capable person and like, I can do this. And, you know, everyone else who I'm like observing have success, like they have flaws too. Like, I don't need to be perfect to pursue these things. Yeah, um, yeah. I think and that's that the, was good learning. It's almost as if it demystified the, the, the people who are hyper successful or arrived at some prominent place in their career 
as if they they are separate from and you're mm-hmm. saying no they're very much like everybody else and it just allowed you to say well then why not me exactly and i i think so the to get to your original question about what what am i proud of i'm definitely proud of a lot <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is like kind of hard for me to say, but the like accomplishment thing I'm most proud of actually is starting my farm. It just required a lot of work and like putting myself out there and innovation and problem solving that I don't think I nine years ago. And it's, you know, it's not like I started some billion dollar startup or something, but it like, I, I know all of the little decisions it took for me to do that. Yeah, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sitting here smiling because I'm super excited about all that you've done and what's to come. And then also, I just had the vision of you on the Ultimate Frisbee field because maybe nine years ago, you wouldn't have been able to do this. And yet, I feel like it, those qualities that you called upon to make this happen have been in you and show up on the ultimate frisbee field like i feel like like what you're talking about is like scrappiness like okay this that didn't try i'm gonna pivot here okay let you know there's teamwork but you're also the individual on the field and yeah there's talk to me just a little bit about your athletic qualities that that serve you well in in the entrepreneur field yeah and that was that's actually the other realm i was going to say i have a lot of pride about which is i'm pretty accomplished at this point you know won a national championship have coached the national the national team to a world championship you know a lot of outcomes to be proud about but i'm actually really proud of the relationship work that i've done um, I, I now coach college men i've coached for my fifth year um so that's the other just quickly the other thing i'm very proud of is like this again another just like continuous learning process of working with young men and uh, creating development opportunities for them to grow. And I was lucky to come up under a coach who takes sports psychology and what we used to call mental toughness, what I now call mental resilience training very seriously, which is all focused on you know, letting go of what you can't control and focusing on what you can control and trying to be here in the now and ready to perform those tasks that you've trained. And that is just like an invaluable skill. The ability to ignore the many things in the world that I can't control. You know, everything from in this moment, you know, as I get on Twitter and get stuck going down a a deep hole of how horrible things are for a lot of people right now and taking my time to feel that empathy and, and also to recognize that for a lot of those people, my role isn't necessarily in this moment um, to be worrying about them or to be feeling guilty that I am not feeling or am not at risk at the extent they are, but to ask myself, what can I control? It's just kind of that, like, you know, a good metaphor is probably like water, you know, trying to work its way through a dam. It's like, it's, it's going to find that crack eventually. And like the river does certainly does not get, uh, overwhelmed or frustrated or, or too perturbed thinking about, you know, the, the thousand times it didn't find the crack. It just kind of keeps flowing towards that crack. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the way athletics have helped me is like in that kind of mental training. Yeah. Yeah. The discipline physically and mentally, right. To 
and to carry on even when you don't win. And yeah, maybe we'll end on that note of the water metaphor because yeah, just this idea of trusting that these, you know, people who are embarking on their careers, young college folks or people who are even switching careers during this time if they're getting laid off, you know, water, water does always find its way. Thank you for that. And thank you for spending sure. your hour with me and sharing all that you've done and the chestnut tree farm has me so intrigued and so does that mean in a few years time if I go to a health food store I might find products as opposed to let's say chickpea flour I might find flour or pasta that comes from chestnuts yeah can I give a quick plug on that yes please (laughs) Yeah, so my business is called Bread Tree Farms. So in a lot of cultures around the world, chestnut was known as the bread tree. I think I got that originally from reading a Portuguese text that had been translated. And that's because chestnut has been a staple food for millennia, um, basically in a temperate band around the world. So from the eastern U.S. through Portugal and Italy, France, Turkey, China, Korea. And so, yeah, my work, we have about... 4,000 acres total in the U.S. in commercial chestnut production, which is not much. I mean, corn is 80 million acres. And my interest is that in general in the U.S., our agricultural systems have split from indigenous management in that we've removed trees and perennial vegetation from our landscapes. And that means we lose topsoil. It means our water is dirtier. It means there's more carbon in the atmosphere. And it means people are less healthy. So I am working on planting chestnuts and starting uh, starting with 20 acres, but expanding farm operations and I'm kind of looking to build a, basically a regional project with, with many other people who are doing similar work to get more chestnut trees in the ground as an agricultural project um, to produce a gluten-free starch crop that could, like you said, be a flour. I've used chestnut chips in cooking. I've braised chestnuts with like a beef miso chestnut braise. Um, I've made soup with it, um, crepes, pancakes, pizza dough, all that kind of stuff. That it's, yeah, it's a gluten-free flour source, but it grows on a tree and has roots that stay in the ground, unlike most of our grain and starch crops. And yeah, it's a part of revitalizing our watersheds in the temperate United States. There are a handful of folks working on it. And I think more people um, every year, I hear from a lot of young folks who are interested in this work. And yeah, if any of your listeners want to know more, I'm happy to riff on the conversation as much as they want. Well, again, thank you so much, Russell. It was really nice talking with you today. Yeah, you're welcome. Great talking to you. And good luck with your endeavors. The world needs them. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Just Ahead. Be sure to rate and subscribe our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about me, visit my website at www.agoodlife.coach or follow me on Instagram at agoodlife.coach. Join us again next week to hear more folks share the practical and inspirational around their working lives post-college.